Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Music Education Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Jasmine A. Sutton. On today's episode, we have Amanda Carr Hughes, the Assistant Executive Director for the Advocacy and Public Policy for the National Association for Music Education. Hey, Amanda. Hi, Jasmine. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Also, we have Zach Kata, Federal Public Policy and Advocacy Communications Manager for NAFME, the National Association for Music Education. Hey, Zach. Hey, Jasmine. Happy to be here. Awesome. Welcome to the show. So let's get into it. Um, tell us about your role at NAFME and how you got into music education policy. Well, I'll go ahead and start. So in my role as the Assistant Executive Director for Advocacy and Public Policy, I have the pleasure of leading this amazing team and our work in support of NAFME's mission, which is to advocate for equitable access to music education. So this work includes um, meeting with Congress, the US Department of Education, We lead the Music Education Policy Roundtable, which is a coalition of other organizations like NAFME and companies that, again, are supporting uh, equitable access to music education for all students. We participate in a lot of funding coalitions and arts education coalitions, and then we support our state music education associations with state level advocacy and provide grassroots training to our members. Talk a little bit about how I landed at NAFME. I was in sort of a similar role with the National Association for Secondary School Principals. So I've been an education advocate for more than 15 years, but what really drew me to NAFME was the positive impact that music had in my life. I was in the color guard and later played trombone in high school and college. I actually met my husband who's a guitar player through some band friends. And now my son is a middle school chorus student. He recently was in the all county chorus and just to see the joy and excitement on his face when he performs, I want every parent to be able to experience that and every child to have that experience in their life. So really excited about the work that we're doing here at NAFM. Yay. Zach? All right. Uh, that'll be hard to follow up, but let me see what <laughs> I can do. So in my role as the federal public policy and advocacy communications manager, I kind of see it as two parts. And I think it's easier to break it down into those two sections. So I'll go first with the federal public policy manager. And in that role, along with Amanda, uh, we We run the lobbying arm of NAFME's advocacy. So what that looks like is holding meetings with Congress members and their staff. We're discussing important legislation impacting music education, how they can support music education. And when we're having those meetings, we do like to have examples of how music education is supporting students, families, teachers in the district that they serve. Uh, Other things I do as the federal public policy manager include attending coalition meetings, which helped to get a better idea of the education policy landscape at large uh, from other sectors rather than just music. We all, I also help staff our federal education policy roundtable and assist in crafting NAFME's legislative agenda, which guides our advocacy throughout the year. The other side of my job, which is advocacy communications, is to keep our members up to date on any important legislation or uh, regulations that may impact them. And I do that through writing blog posts for our advocacy bulletin blog that can be found on the NAFME website. 
and a bit about how I got into music education policy. I, uh, I think it's kind of the perfect crossroads of like my three main interests. I was kind of born into education. My grandmother started a school in DC that my mom now runs. Growing up in DC, politics has always been a part of my life. I went on my first campaign as a 13 year old, helping out my best friend's dad run for delegate and then just creative expression. I know I'm not the best musician, but I like to mess around on the steel drums or read or write. So just any way that helps people express themselves creatively, really, uh, I really enjoy that. So working at NAFME, I get to combine those three passions of mine, politics, education, and creative expression. So uh, that's kind of how I found myself in this role. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to have you both here. I'm going to start uh, with something that you just said, Zach, about um, attending coalition meetings and learning about the education landscape. So this uh, episode is actually being recorded about two weeks after the midterm. So far, I believe we have almost every office that has been accounted for. The winners have been selected. Um, but when this episode airs in the future, the winners will have just have been sworn in to Congress. So give us an overview of the congressional landscape in regards to music education and the results that just happened. Okay, I'll uh, kick this one off. I'll give you guys a kind of bird's eye view of what took place during the elections. And let's start that off with in the 2022 midterms, uh, there was expected to be a kind of red wave. And that's meaning that Republicans were expected to perform extremely well at the polls. And I would say that red wave didn't fully materialize, but Republicans certainly did gain ground. Uh, after the ballots have been tallied, Republicans are now in control of the House of Representatives. They have at least 218 members, which is what is required to have a majority. Uh, the Democrats did retain control of the Senate, which is why I say that red wave didn't fully materialize. At the moment, they have at least 50 members, plus the Vice President Kamala Harris, who has that kind of split vote. There is still a runoff election in Georgia right now, so it could be a 51 to 49 majority, but that uh, it just depends on that runoff election, which will be taking place in December. Uh, looking at the leadership breakdown after uh, elections, we have the expected chair for the Ed and Labor Committee being Virginia Fox from North Carolina. Uh, she's been on the Education Committee for quite a while. To be chair, again, she'll need a waiver of term limits, so this is not going to be her first time. The expected ranking member of the Education and Labor Committee, that'll be the highest ranking Democrat on the committee, is expected to be Bobby Scott. And then looking at the Senate, we have uh, some newcomers looking to be the chairs for the health committee, the health, education, labor, and pension. And that is uh, Bernie Sanders from Vermont, Bob Casey from Pennsylvania, or Tammy Baldwin from Wisconsin. And those would all be new chairs. And the expected ranking member for the Senate Help Committee is Bill Cassidy from Louisiana. Uh, so that's a quick high level overview of elections. I'll just uh, talk a bit about how that might affect FY23 appropriations and where they're standing right now. Uh, the latest labor HHS bill that we've seen come out of appropriations is still that one that we saw back in June. 
And in that bill, we saw that the Department of Ed was set to receive $86.6 billion in discretionary funding. Uh, that would be a 15% increase over last year. Some of the top line programs would be funded at, for example, Title, a, uh, Title 1A would be funded at $20.5 billion, which would be a $3 billion increase over last year. Title II would receive $2.27 billion, which is a $100 million increase over last year. And Title IV would be funded at $1.35 billion, which would be a $75 million increase over last year. Uh, I do expect that the numbers that we'll see coming out of uh, the House this Congress will be slightly lower than that because Republicans are gonna be in control of the House so I'm expecting there to be some parity between defense and non-defense funding going forward. So I don't think we'll have as high of numbers for uh, the Department of Ed coming out of FY23 appropriations going forward, but I do believe we'll see an increase over last year's numbers. And Jasmine, I, I would add, I just think it's really important for our audience to understand that appropriations is the most likely thing to move and impact music, educa music education in the near future. Congress rarely considers what they would refer to as a standalone bill in education on like a single issue. They would typically wrap them all into a major reauthorization. So when they're considering the Elementary and Secondary Education Act or the Higher Education Act. And, you know, with us coming out of the pandemic and a lot of the issues related to COVID relief spending and, um, some of the learning loss discussions and how we're going to get kids caught up. I don't see them tackling some of those major reauthorization bills anytime soon. The exception could be HEA, the Higher Education Act. They were working on the reauthorization of that law before the pandemic started. And Title II of that law does include programs to support teacher and school leader preparation programs. NAFME's already endorsed a couple of proposals um, as part of that reauthorization, you know, to increase funding for residency programs and more in-school training for teacher candidates, um, funding specifically for education prep programs at historically Black colleges and other minority-serving institutions, and then looking at how we can provide more loan forgiveness um, for teachers, since we know it's it's expensive to go through those prep programs, and then, you know, many teachers have pretty low salaries when they start. So we're also reviewing some legislation related to that, and also just other opportunities that we can use to elevate the profession and and make it something that many people want to do in the future. Wow, that was a lot, y'all. Um, <laughs> as, as, uh, if you are an audience member and you're trying to understand and digest what just happened, I'm like, Whoa, that's a lot. So you mentioned like Fox and Sanders and dollar amounts in the billions and all of these things that an educator advocate at the grassroots level may or may not know about. So can you kind of break it down? To a very basic level, how does this work that you're doing at the federal level impact students, educators uh, in the classroom? Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's important for people to understand that federal funding is just a small amount of that larger pie of funding that goes to schools. You know, most of the funding does come from the state or local level through um, 
property taxes, to be frank, but it is intended to provide equity across different localities, different states, different districts, and schools. And so a lot of that funding is intended to serve schools that have a high number of students from low-income families. There's specific rules around supporting students with disabilities and other high-need populations like homeless students or English language learners. And you know, under ESEA, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, there's really specific requirements related to standards and assessments and accountability that does drive what happens in schools across the country. Um, I'll mention too, just some of the other work that we do at NAFME. You know, we're a member of a number of these coalitions. One of those is the National Coalition for Core Art Standards. And that is the organization that leads the review and revision process of the music standards that are then adopted by all of the states. Um, right now, they're kind of um, hoping to get some grant funding next year to look at those standards through a lens of the equity and see where there might be some gaps so that as we think about revising those standards in the future, what are some you know, new components we wanna include related to culturally responsive instruction and some other strategies um, that are really gonna engage students in the classroom. We're also um, leading work uh, through a task force that our president-elect Deb Confredo is leading to develop recommendations around recruiting and retaining music educators. So they've been interviewing a lot of institutions of higher education to see what are some of the challenges in music education right now and are gonna then develop some policy recommendations about how we can relieve some of the shortages that schools across the country are facing. Awesome. And uh, I'd just like to follow up on Amanda's first point. Uh, it's a really good one. And I'd just like to point it out again. The federal government does contribute a fairly small portion of overall education funding. Those numbers in the billions, we'll see those and we'll think uh, this is a ton of money, which it is. But when you compare that to what the state and local governments are contributing, I believe 47% and 46% from the local communities, uh, that 7% from the federal government just doesn't seem quite as much. But what uh, that funding from the federal government does do, it's targeted towards those high needs areas that Amanda had mentioned, uh, low income families, students with disabilities. Uh, federal government money is more so about leveling the playing field of education uh, for students across the country. I'd say that really just results in a positive impact for both students and teachers in the classroom. Uh, I'd like to point out most recently, one of the pieces of legislation that the federal government passed is the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, and that appropriated $1 billion for school mental health services and activities to influence a positive school culture. And I think right now, uh, coming out of the pandemic, just having money for mental health services in schools is going to provide a really positive impact for these students and teachers as well, uh, just really the whole school community. Agreed. Agreed. You guys are covering a lot of um, music education landscape that's outside of the classroom. Amanda, you were talking about, uh, was it the National Core, National Coalition for Co-Art Standards? Like you're collaborating. So it's not just 
you guys doing work with the legislators on Capitol Hill, but you're also utilizing the network of music education and arts education as a whole to kind of help support what students and teachers are doing in their classroom. That's, I'm glad that you guys are sharing this information because it's really helpful. What are some challenges that you face in doing your work? Like, how do you deal with those challenges? Well, I'm, I'm relatively new to NAFME, so I can't speak to all of the challenges specifically in music education policy, but just working more broadly in K-12 education, the work does tend to ebb and flow depending on the priorities of the president or who the leadership is in Congress at any point in time. So it can make it difficult to develop long-term strategies and to kind of think about how we measure success of the work that we're doing. Um, oftentimes we're being a little bit reactive or, you know, scrambling to develop recommendations for reauthorization that, you know, hasn't happened, that that happened when I was at NASSP. You know, we were working um, really hard towards an HEA reauthorization. That was more than three years ago, and it hasn't happened. And the last ESEA reauthorization, I think, took, took about 10 years before that process was finalized. So it can kind of seem like you're doing the same work over and over and over again. But it's exciting, too, because sometimes we can be a little bit more proactive. You know, in the past, we've supported legislation to guarantee access for music and arts education. And so we could be, you know, working with our members on grassroots advocacy strategies to get more co-sponsors for that legislation, just get more support for the bill. I also haven't been at NAFME for very long. I believe my one-year mark is coming up in... I'd say a month and some change. Congratulations. So just, thank you. So I'll just um, talk about some challenges that you might face generally in advocacy. So working in advocacy, a problem you're most likely going to run into at some point is not being heard. And I don't mean that in the sense of you're, you're not getting your message out the right way. You're not broadcasting widely enough. I mean it more so that your voice isn't loud enough to be heard. And when I say that, I mean that you don't have enough people advocating for your cause. And when I run into a situation where my voice, the cause that I'm advocating for isn't loud enough, we don't have enough voices behind us, it reminds me to go back to the first step of advocacy, which is coalition building. Finding other organizations with common goals and common missions as your own and, uh, finding some common ground to work with them on, partnering with them to expand the reach of your voice and having more supporters behind your cause. Yeah, and knowing that once you have that foundation of advocates that are working with you, you know that that work is not gonna be as overwhelming, right? We, we survive better when we're in a group, but also that going back to what you were saying, Amanda, advocacy is a long, it's a long-term affair where once you start, you're, it, it could take 10 years for you to see, you know, full progress, but doesn't mean that within those 10 years, nothing ever happened. It's just those smaller wins need to be celebrated just as much as a big win. Um, yeah. So what are some tips that you could give to advocates? Zach, you just said, um, you know, building a coalition, but what are some other tips and ideas that you could give to advocates to support their music programs in their communities? 
Uh, well, I really appreciate that you just said that small wins can be celebrated just as much as big wins, because this ties into what I'm going to suggest to you eventual advocates now. So my number one tip is don't be afraid to start small. Not every advocacy campaign has to involve hundreds of people, giant letter writing campaigns, or eventually meeting with a state legislator. It is perfectly fine to advocate within your own school on behalf of your own classroom. Now, this could take the form of going to your principal with a plan that details how additional funding for your program could help more students participate in music. Uh, that's a perfectly valid and effective form of ad advocacy for educators, and you didn't even have to leave your school building. So I really just would like to stress that you do not have to go big. Starting small and building forward is a perfectly valid and effective way of advocating for yourself, for your music program, for your school. And uh, for tips on how to begin advocating at the local level, you can check out NAFME's local advocacy action plan, which can be found on the NAFME website. For real, that's on the website? There's an action plan on the website? There is, yep. Awesome. I will find it and make sure I link it to this episode. Amanda, what are your tips? I just want to stress to everyone how important your stories are. We know that legislators often want data, but they also want to know that the policies that they create, the funding that they allocate is having a positive impact in their communities. Um, so especially when it's a constituent coming to them, sharing a story about something that happened in their school, it, it makes a world of difference in influencing them to you know, maybe co-sponsor legislation or, or support funding for Title IV to ensure that there's more access to music and arts education. So we have a couple of different ways that we can um, encourage our members to get involved. We have the NAFME Grassroots Action Center on our website. It includes campaigns on various policy issues and all of those templates can be personalized so that you can share your story uh, and, you know, mention, mention a specific student and, you know, how they lit up on stage that day they performed. Um, we also have Music in Our Schools Month coming up in March. Zach is actually leading the association-wide team to recognize um, all the great things happening in schools during MILSM. And that's another way that you can be highlighting great things happening in your music classrooms. You can be sharing videos on social media. Um, you could also be inviting people to come and visit your school, federal and state policymakers, even your school board members. And if they can't come visit you during the school day and see what you're doing in your classroom, we would encourage you to invite them to one of your concerts just so that they can, you know, really benefit from the amazing things happening in music education today. Yeah, I, I love these, these ideas. Zach said, start small, like make advocacy something that you can do, not what you saw somebody else doing. So start small and what you can do and definitely celebrate music in our schools month. That's the best time to bring attention to your program and to, to start building that coalition of supporters for what you're doing in your classroom. I like those. Um, this has been a really good conversation. I, I've enjoyed learning about what you guys are doing and hearing your tips and strategies, but do you have any questions for me? 
Yeah, I'll start. I mean, I would love to know, Jasmine, what motivated you as an elementary music teacher to be an advocate. And Zach and I have talked so much about the importance of music educator voice and sort of that power in numbers. So what ideas do you have on how we can get more NAFME members to be more involved in our advocacy work, just knowing how much they have on their plates? Uh, so those are two good questions. Um, so yes, I was an elementary music teacher and I got involved in advocacy in the hardest way possible. My state had implemented a legislative action that would take away funding and it would result in a lot of teachers across the board losing their jobs, including music teachers. And so not only was I advocating for my own job, but more importantly, I wanted my students to still have access to music um, and they needed a music teacher. And so that's kind of how I got into advocacy and, and how do we make sure that all kids have access to music education? That's how I got into doing this work. But what made me stay was seeing how as an educator, I was able to navigate the landscape of balancing being a music teacher and being an advocate and knowing that there are other teachers that had the same questions that I did, knowing that there were other teachers who had like their plates were full with all kinds of things. And to add another list to advocate for their program would be overwhelming. So I actually got involved with volunteering for the NAFME staff and they taught me a lot about how to advocate as an educator. There were various opportunities that the National Association provided, like the voter voice campaigns, which are, I think you guys have already said that you just type in your name and your email address and your mailing address, and you quickly get linked to your legislator and you can send them a message without having to jump through all of the hoops of trying to find the right person to talk to. So that was very helpful. We do have a Hill Day where we invite state leadership. So if you're an advocacy chairperson or you are passionate about it, finding ways to plug into your state advocacy, but also the national network is always a good thing. So there are a variety of ways. I think it's just finding something and starting small, like Zach said, and, and that's kind of how I got into it. All right. Well, I'll uh, ask my question. So <laughs> okay. I have a question about your role at NAFME. You work as the state advocacy engagement manager and you're working with members from all across the country. You always hear that music is a universal language, but when it comes to music education policy, there's not a one size fits all solution. I'd like to hear about your experience navigating between the different states when it comes to music education policy and what that's like. Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> well, I've always took the approach of if I'm going to offer help, I need to know what they need, right? Um, it would be very ludicrous of me to go to a state and say, I know what works best for you. So the advocacy work that I do with states, it's definitely collaborative in that I go and I ask them, you know, what are your strengths? What are the places that you need help in? And what are you trying to accomplish? What does your political landscape look like? Um, and who could be your champions for music education? And from there, that's when we build a strategy, whether they want to have, you know, 
a legislative ask? Are they building a strategy with their state school board? Are they building a strategy with parents, students? What does that look like? But it all starts with a conversation on what their strengths are, what do they need to accomplish and, and what they hope to get out of it. So. Okay. And I do have a follow-up question. Yeah, so, a follow-up. Okay. All right. Let's go, Zach. Have you come across any tips or helpful bits of knowledge that you found can be kind of applied generally to more than just one state? Hmm. Applied generally to more than just one state. When it comes to advocacy? Yeah, I, I do think tapping into the network of educators, music educators, is the best way to start the work. Whether it's the educators that are in your local district or county, or if it's the legislators in your region, your state, uh, building those relationships is fundamental to advocacy work. If you want it to be successful, you have to have those relationships. So I would definitely say, no matter the location you're in, finding that advocacy network of people and supporters of what you do in the classroom, but also what your students are doing is definitely something that can be applied across states. Okay, that's good to know. Thank you. Yeah. Build relationships, people. That's how advocacy works, right? Um, and make sure they're healthy relationships that take care of one another. It has been a fantastic time talking to you both. I just want to say thank you again for sharing. And I look forward to the work that you both are doing at the federal level, but also for uh, students across our nation in support of music education. Um, so everybody who's listening, stay tuned for our next episode. But until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day and keep making music. All right, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.